joining us online on Sermon Audio. Greetings to you in the Savior's name as well. And we look to worship our Lord and King this morning. We'll turn to our hymnals in the back of your hymnal to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. And uh, just as an update, just to let you know, um, I'm up here to help our pastor because uh, his voice is a little rough, so we're going to limit his uh, speaking to the preaching and to some announcements and, uh, and a few other things. So, But let us stand to sing unto the Lord, Psalm 121. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank thee, O God, for this precious morning where we can come and gather and worship our Lord and King this day. Thank you, Lord, that we have a place where we can uh, commit our hearts and minds this morning, where we can gather at the throne room of grace and hear the precious word of God proclaimed to us this day. And Lord, we do pray for our pastor as he brings that precious word, that Lord, you would work in him and through him to bring that word. And Lord, that you would bless his uh, voice, his very uh, uh, throat and health, Lord, this morning as he uh, desires to preach thy word. And Lord, that you would strengthen him and uphold him by the power of thy might. And that Lord, you would help us in the pews as we uh, sit and gather um, to sit at the feet of Christ, as it were to hear that precious word uh, taught to us. And that, Lord, we may learn from it, and we may uh, benefit and grow from the, the word of God this morning. 
Lord, we pray that you would bless those that are tuned in as well online, that you would bless their hearts, and, and, and that, Lord, you would hear the secret prayer of the heart, that you would answer it, Lord, in your good time. And, Lord, help us as we continue in the worship of thy name, that, Lord, we would have hearts and minds that are fixed upon thee and your goodness, your righteousness, your holiness, that, Lord, would be thankful with a heart of gratitude towards thee for all the blessings that thou has blessed us with and most importantly lord for the for the son for jesus christ the one who died upon that cross for sinners such as us lord that we may have that forgiveness salvation redemption and that precious gift of eternal life lord thank you for the cross and what it means to us Lord, help us to be proclaimers of that truth. Lord, now be with us this morning. Help us as we continue in your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I have a uh, scripture reading in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 19. If you turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 19. And we'll begin in verse 16 and read to verse 27. So that's John chapter 19, verse 16. The word of God says, Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. That the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. 
When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. Amen. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. At this time, I believe, I'll call the pastor up for the opening prayer. Is he okay with that? Yes? Okay, he's okay with that. I'll, I'll call our pastor up here for the prayer. Let's pray and seek the Lord together, please. Eternal God and loving Father in heaven, we thank Thee we can come before Thee this day. We can come and worship. We can come and consider Thy word that Thou hast given to us. And Father, we thank Thee for time already spent in Thy house today. We thank Thee for the Sunday school downstairs, Thy word that was brought to the boys, to the girls. Bless, we pray. We think of ourselves in the adult Sunday school and that reminder of the importance of the deity of our Savior and standing for truth and standing, Father, for uh, the uh, great uh, person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, while we realize there's a message that had been preached many years ago from this pulpit. And we thank Thee that uh, there was truth uh, that was applied afresh to our souls. And may we truly love and value and esteem our Savior. Father, we thank Thee that we can gather today. We pray for Thy blessing. We pray for Thy help and Thy hand to be upon us. We pray for strength as we worship Thee. And, O oh God, we Pray for the preaching of thy word, that thou would be pleased to bless it, to teach our hearts, though there may be difficulties with voice, difficulties perhaps in, in hearing as well. We pray that thou would go above all of these things by the power of thy Spirit and apply thy word to precious souls. Lord, we remember those who need thy help and thy touch. We do remember Mrs. Chesney. We pray that thou would bless her in the hospital, uh, that she would know thy hand of strength. We do remember our brother Colin. Lord, bless uh, him, we pray, and the family circle. We do remember Vern, and uh, we thank thee that he is home again, and we pray that thou would bless him, bless his family, and undertake. We do remember our sister Debbie this morning, and we pray that uh, thou would be pleased to uh, place thy hand upon her, uh, we pray that uh, she would feel better as well, and may uh, she know uh, the presence and comfort of her Lord. And Father, we remember others as well who need thy help and thy touch. We rejoice that as thy people we can look to thee and we can rest upon uh, the help and the care of our Savior. Lord, bless us today. Bless thy word. Bless every word where thy word is faithfully proclaimed, and may it be done in the power of thy Spirit. Be with us. 
And bless us as we continue with thy worship, we ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Turn to our second hymn, hymn number 30, hymn number 30, that man of Calvary. As today is our communion service, we're uh, reminded through this hymn of that man that went to Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll stand to sing his praises. of all the earth beside, chiefest of all unto thy pride. All is divine in thee I see, wonderful man of Calvary, that man of Calvary has won my heart from me and died to set me free. At this point in our service, we do welcome each one in the Savior's name, uh, those watching online, those visiting with us, and we trust the Lord uh, would bless as we uh, gather together. I have been suffering from a bit of a sore throat the last couple of days, and my voice is not the strongest, and so I thank our brother for the help leading the service this morning and uh, this evening as well, and uh, the Reverend Colliger, we used one of his old messages 
uh, this morning. And so our brother has helped as well. Uh, but uh, we are dealing with the Council of Nicaea. That was the plan today. And uh, I thought if I do the adult Sunday school, I'm not sure I'll be able to preach uh, later on. And so I looked at the sermon audio to see if there was any messages on Arianism or the Council of Nicaea. And Reverend Golliger pops up. And so I thought, well, he can come and do the Bible class for us today. It was a sermon uh, preached uh, 14 years ago. And I was listening, and I was thinking, well, he said this morning. And so next week, we'll probably have to be the message altered. Uh, otherwise, we'll just be repeating what our brother uh, said uh, today. Uh, but it's good to sit back and have a listen uh, to his preaching as well. Do remember the services today? We have our communion service after the meeting this morning, uh, at the end of the service. And then we have uh, Langley Lodge. It is not in the bulletin, but that service is taking place at 1.30 p.m. Or 1.30 p.m.? Yes, 1.30, 1.45, round about there. I should have checked the time. Uh, I do remember that. Our brother uh, Alan will be uh, conducting that service for us. I'm not going to go to the lodge uh, today. Uh, because of my voice and my throat. And then the prayer meeting at 5.30, the evening worship at 7 p.m. In the will of God, I'll be here to preach. And I'm not going to go to the door today. I'm not going to shake my hands. I'm going to uh, be socially distanced. But if you do want a chat or need to talk to me about something, uh, you can phone me. You can come and uh, have a socially distanced conversation as well. And that's not a problem. Uh, but I won't be uh, shaking hands. So don't be thinking I'm unfriendly. I'm just uh, trying to take a little bit of a back seat uh, this morning. Tomorrow evening we have our session of board meetings from 6 p.m. And then uh, do remember as well the Western uh, Canada Family Conference. Uh, the invitations are in the hall and do take one and consider that conference on the Labor Day weekend. The services next week, the usual times, they're in the bulletin. And so do remember them and pray for the Lord's blessing as we gather uh, together. We're going to hand over to our brother now to announce and to lead the offering hymn, please. We'll have our offering now, and you may remain seated. We'll turn to hymn number 174. Hymn 174, and after the offerings are taken and there is prayer offered for the offerings, we will stand for the remainder of him.
thank thee for the freedom we have to open your word, to praise you, to worship our God, and we ask that you would meet with us. Touch each heart, take our tithes, take our offerings, and use them that the gospel message may go forth in this sanctuary across this land, by webcast, by radio. We ask that you would use all these means to bring that precious word to needy souls. Be with us in this sanctuary today. Help our pastor to preach. Give him unction from above. Give him power in the preaching. And we ask that you would touch our hearts. Open our hearts to the word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Ms. Verzma. Let us stand for the last two remaining stanzas. Number four. going to turn in the Word of God to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I thank our brother again for leading the service. And we trust the Lord will help and bless. I'm not sure what I'll be like after preaching this morning with my voice. And I was worried about that with the adult Sunday school. And I saw the two worship services today as the priority to be able to preach, to be able to lead at the Lord's table as well. And so we trust the voice will hold up. It's feeling a little better than it was this morning. And uh, the coughing I was doing at the start of the service, I think that's the first time in the last few days that I've coughed like that. Uh, so I haven't been like that all the time. Uh, it was a one-off. And it began to create a little bit of worry in me, uh, but hopefully that won't happen uh, during the preaching of the Word. And the issues of voice uh, will make us rely completely upon the Lord, but also we trust it will not distract uh, from the preaching of the Word of God. And so, let us read together 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read the first uh, seven verses, 
And in the will of God, coming to the end of this section on the eldership today, the Word of God says, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy, a filthy looker, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into the reproach, into reproach and the snare of the devil. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his precious and infallible and true word this morning. <coughs> let us unite together in prayer and let us seek the Lord, please. Gracious God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee we can approach Thee through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank Thee we can bring our needs before Thee. And Father, we pray for our needs today. We pray, O God, for the physical need of the voice, uh, that Thou would be pleased to bless and to strengthen. And we pray, Father, that Thou would bless spiritually and that our hearts would be prepared to receive thy precious truth. Lord, come and teach us. Come and bless us through thy word. And we pray today that as we leave this place, that our hearts will be touched, that we would understand not only more of the role of the elder and the qualifications for this office, but Lord, we would have that desire to live for thee. And if there be things that we're considering today that are not right within our lives, Lord, convict us, challenge our hearts, that as we come to thy table, we would examine ourselves and we would think of what we've considered today and that we would see, well, I'm not an elder. I'm not a pastor. But Lord, there's an issue here that has been pointed out today. Teach me. Help me to put it right by thy grace. Lord, we pray thou would instruct us. Bless this time around thy word. And give grace and help, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. 1 Timothy chapter 3, as we have already considered together, indicates to us the important character, a good, mature, and balanced Christian character. And the Apostle Paul is setting out to those within the church, and to Timothy specifically here, that there are certain graces that must be found within the elder or the pastor of the church. And the source of all these graces, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, and we see that that fruit is essential, not merely in the pastor, not in the elder, not only in the deacon, but in all believers. You and I, whoever we are in the church of Christ today, 
should have that fruit because that fruit is an evidence within our lives that we are believers that we love the Lord. And the elder specifically should have a genuine Christian character. He should be a man who is truly redeemed by the Spirit of God. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 5, the apostle says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy mother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. And what the apostle is saying is that this faith that Timothy's mother and grandmother had, he believed Timothy had it as well. That as an elder within the church, as a pastor, he too knew the grace of God in his life and knew salvation. And that is vital and important. You cannot be a Christian if you know not the working of Christ in salvation within your life. You may say, I'm a Christian. You may attend church. The church treasurer may receive that check with your name on it, giving to the work of God. You may come and attend the services of the church. You may uh, be someone who we love to talk to and uh, have conversations with. But if you know not the working of the Spirit of God within your heart, if you have never been redeemed, you do not have that true Christian character. There is a need of salvation. There is a need of turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is need not only for that genuine Christian character, but for a matured Christian character to grow in the love of Christ, to grow in the knowledge of Christ, to be followers of Christ. And the work of the elder, as we see in this passage, is an honorable and it is a noble work. We have outlined part of this work already in two previous, three previous messages, and we come today to consider three more qualifications coming from verse 4 down to verse 7. And uh, the title again is The Qualifications for Elders, the third part of that. And we see the qualification of leadership firstly. The qualification of leadership. What is the elder? He is a leader within the church of Christ. We have already established that he is a leader. He takes a spiritual role. In our congregation, the elders have the oversight of over every aspect of the work of God. If we desire to start a youth group, or if we desire to start an outreach endeavor, or we desire, desire to do something new in the work of God here, it is not the decision of the pastor. It is not the decision of a few within the congregation. It is the decision of those whom God has appointed to be the elders within the church. The session of the church, that gathering of the elders, is responsible for every aspect of the work of God. And while the deacons are responsible for the temporal affairs of the church and for the care of the church building, the elders themselves have the oversight over that work also. And so that is something we need to understand. It is an important role. It is a role that has this great responsibility. And for those who are the members of the church of Christ, the elders have the responsibility for the work. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that. We do not labor as a congregation 
doing our own thing. But the elders are those who have that spiritual oversight. There are congregations and churches today, and one part of the church does one thing, another half of the church, they do another thing. They have their own little roles and things, but none of it is really over, under the oversight of the elders. It's under the name of the church, but not the elders. They don't know what's going on half of the time because that system of church government is not working the way that it ought to work. And so there's not that spiritual oversight. The elders under God have that leadership role. They lead in the work. They organize the work. They govern the work by principles set forth in Scripture. They guard that work. They guard that work. If we set up within this congregation something that was modern and, and liberal as a means of reaching others to bring them into church, the elders have the decision, should we do this? Should we set aside preaching for entertainment? And they need to go to Scripture and consider Scripture and the standards of the church based on Scripture. And the answer is no. The preaching of the Word is to be central. The congregation may disagree, but the elders are to guard the Word of God and to guard the work of the church. And sadly, in many places, that does not happen the way that it ought to happen. And so we should pray for our elders and pray that God would bless them, that they would govern the, the church in light of the Word of God. The apostle draws our attention to leadership in the sense of the family home. Verse 4, the elder is one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, <coughs> how shall he take care of the church of God? And the leadership experience of an elder finds its foundation in the management of his family home. Now, not every elder is married. Not every elder has a family. Not every elder, when they become an elder, has a family. But if he has a family and he has a home, and we can extend that to the affairs of life as well, that home is to be ruled well. There is to be a blamelessness. There is to be good behavior within the family home. Now, children will be children, and children will get up to mischief, and children will uh, do all sorts of things. And we're not talking here about uh, children being children, and the elders should stop that. We're talking here about open rebellion. We're talking here of a man being incapable of le leading his home of telling his children, we're coming to church now. We're coming to read God's Word. Uh, we're coming uh, to uh, talk about spiritual matters, and the children say no, and they go their way, and the man is powerless to do anything about it. We're talking about a man who rules well and is respected well. It is not a perfect home, because no home is perfect. And we need to understand that. I was a pastor's uh, kid for many years, and I often felt there was a higher standard because I was the pastor's kid. But I was just an ordinary kid. I got up to mischief, as kids do. I tried, because my father was a pastor, to, uh, to be well-behaved and to be respectful. But I was still a child. And I did childish things. And I got up uh, to mischief. And I made mistakes, as all children do. But in the home, 
there was not that open rebellion. There was that respect of my father and of his role within the church. Yes, uh, as a child, you argued with your parents and different things, which you probably should not do. But there was not that open rebellion and that open living in sin and rejecting everything the church taught and everything your parents taught. It was a home that was governed well. And we need to understand as well that the family in the ancient world often extended beyond the blood relative. There were servants. There were those within the home who were not the blood relatives of the head of the home. And that opened the door then for leadership and blamelessness in the affairs of employment as well, which is applicable to elders who do not have a family. That in all the affairs of life, there is good leadership. If there is a business, and if you're a manager in a company or whatever it might be, there is good godly leadership in that particular role. Notice here in verse 4, one that ruleth, the Greek word for rule is to set or place over, to set over, to give aid, to be a protector or a guardian. Such a man does this in his own house, and he does it well, beautifully, finely, excellently, in honor, nobly. He leads his house well, with all gravity, with all gravity. And that Greek word translated gravity means the characteristic of a thing or a person which entitles to reverence and respect and dignity, honor, purity. There is to be a reverence and a respect as the father leads the home. And so how can a father lead his home and his children with obedience? Well, with dignity and honor. He treats them rightly. He respects them. We often hear about the children respecting the parent. And that is true. Children, you are to respect your parents. You are to honor your parents. But parents, you are also to respect your children. They are offspring. They're not wild animals. And when we think of that and apply that to the house of God and the church as well, the people within the church are the flock of God. They are to be treated with respect and honor also. There's to be a love and, and a bond. A commentator said that the best way to grow obedient children is to respect them, to be fair, consistent, merciful, and sympathetic. Dear Father, be consistent in your Christian faith. Be consistent in leading your children. We can think of your Christian faith. We could think of the elder teaching and leading in the church. We can think of you coming to church and teaching the principles and emphasizing to your children the importance of the sermon and what God's Word is teaching. But yet they might see the opposite in the home. That is not to be the case. There is to be a consistent life. A consistent life. A consistent honoring of God. The home of the Christian, and especially the elder, as Calvin states, should be, and the Puritan said this many times as well, it should be a little church. And so your home should be a little church where your family come together and worship the God of heaven. The heathen who had no idea what the church is, they held to the idea that the household was the image and likeness 
of the empire of Rome. And the father was the public official within the household. And so applying that to the church of Christ, Christians have that little church within their home. The father is, as it were, the priest or the bishop of that home or the pastor of that home. And God has given him that role of leadership to lead his family to the glory of God. And so in that little church, there is that proof, that evidence that this man is a godly leader <coughs> and a man that is perhaps suitable for the work of God within the church of Christ. Now, not every man that rules his home well is suited to the task of eldership. But what Paul is saying is this, if he is not ruling well at home, then he is definitely not qualified for this work. And that is something that he needs to work on, that he needs to work on. And the point is clear. If a man cannot manage his own children, who often can be deaf to many things that he says, how can he rule those within the church who are not his family with respect? If his own wife refuses his leadership, how can he lead within the church? If he cannot lead his family, how can he lead within his church? And so I believe this is no surprise. If a man cannot rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of Christ? And this brings us to an important question. If there are those within the home, children within the home, who, prof who do not profess faith in Christ, does that mean that men are disqualified from holding the office of an elder? We see what it says here, one that ruleth well his own home. Does that mean that everyone has to profess faith? No, it does not. It does not. But what it does mean is if the child is five or six years of age and the parent says it's time to go to church and the child says, no, I'm not going, I'm not going, I'm staying at home. I'm going to go on my Nintendo or watch television. I'm not going to church. And the parent says, well, son, that's okay. You do that. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. The parent should be saying, no, today is the day we go to church. Everything else is set aside. The priority is the worship of God. And therefore, we come together. There's a thought that everyone under the elder or pastor's roof attends church with the family as well. Some would be of that opinion. And, of course, that is a good thing to encourage. But there are many children in their early 20s who don't come to the house of God. They live under the roof of Christian families and Christian parents and maybe even elders. Should they be made to go? I think they most certainly should be encouraged to go, but every situation needs addressed individually. I don't think there's a one-hat-fits-all scenario here. Some children are willing to go, but are against the gospel of Christ. Others rebel and refuse. And what can you do? Pick them up, tie them down, and put them in the car? It's a difficult thing. A situation that is sensitive and needs prayer. Needs prayer. We should pray for household salvation. But there is a need for parents to emphasize to their children the importance of public worship. Why are we here? Why do we worship? Why do we come and hear the Word of God preached to our hearts and to our souls? And what Paul is emphasizing here is this is a good example. The father who rules in his house 
There is that example of the importance of the Word of God. That's part of it. He rules according to the Word of God. He leads his family with grace. He leads his family with kindness. He leads his family with discernment. And the elder is to lead the church as he leads his family. The elder is never to say, well, I don't like this individual. I'm going to smack them down hard when it comes to discipline. They'll, never, they'll learn never to do this sin again. But perhaps you would never dream of doing that to your own child. So much that they walk out and never come back. The elder should be gracious. Dear believer, you and I in our homes should be gracious. We should be firm and biblical but gracious in our dealings in our families. And that applies to the wider family of God. And there's a great scope here concerning the gospel of Christ. We are to be lights pointing men to the Savior. How can we do that? If we behave like cats and dogs among our church family, chasing each other, being at each other. There should be a serving the Lord with one mind one unity, one bond. And so this qualification shows us that a man must be consistent in these things to be an elder. It shows us, dear believer, we're to put Christ first within our homes. But then secondly, I want you to see the qualification of maturity. The qualification of maturity. And moving to verse 6, it says, Not a novice, left, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And the Greek here emphasizes a new convert, someone who is newly planted. We can often take this as saying that the elder should not be converted to Christ on Saturday, become a member on Sunday, be elected as an elder on Monday. And certainly such a man would be a novice. But Paul is saying more here than simply saying, don't elect new converts into the eldership. John Calvin said, when a man embarks on something, he soon fancies that he is an expert. <coughs> and how true that is. And the apostle is emphasizing that elders have been attending the church and serving in the church for a long time. They're no stranger to the church. They know what the church believes. They know where the church stands. They've proven themselves in their families. They've proven themselves among the flock of God. But what is the reality within the church? Well, there can be believers who have had faith for 20 years. But sadly, because of a lack of interest in learning more of Christ, because of struggles in sanctification, they're still novices. They're still like new believers. They haven't grown and matured. They're believers who've been saved a long time and they still struggle with particular sins. They've never got the victory over. There are men who have been saved only a few years, and they have matured greatly so that we would say, well, that man's not a novice. And dear believer, we should be maturing in our Christian walk. That it would be said of us, no matter how long we are saved, that we are not a novice. Not a novice. Imagine in your job, and in your employment, that after 20 years working in that job, your employer turned around and said, you're not getting that promotion. You're still a novice. You're still making mistakes. 
You're still doing things that are wrong and costing this business time and money. You need to get sorted out before that promotion. You'll be offended. You look at yourself and think, I need to change things. And this is what the Lord is saying here through the apostle. Not a novice, but a novice can be one who has followed Christ for 20 years, but yet the walk has not been what it ought to have been. And there's an encouragement for us, all of us, to be closer to the Lord, to look at this high standard for the eldership and think, that is where we're to be. I may never be an elder. I may not be eligible to stand for an elder, but this is about loving Christ and loving His Word and loving His church and living for Him. And therefore, I will desire not to be a novice, but I'll be mature in my faith and strong in my faith to be a shining light for the Savior. And of course, what Paul is saying here is that for men to suddenly be cast into the role of an elder will cause and does cause problems because they are novices. They are novices. When it comes to a consistent ministry and understanding what that is like and how we interact with each other as the church, they're novices because perhaps it's just been about them. They've been on their own. They come into the church. They become an elder very quickly but they've no idea what being part of a larger group is, and there's problems. There's problems. There's flaws. And there's personalities between us all that we need to work with and understand and be compassionate. Not every man is the same. Not every man is the same. We have our strengths. We have our weaknesses. And as the church of Christ, we come together and we support each other in those things. We support each other in those things. We can think of the work program that we did regarding the carpet. And, well, ripping up the carpet for me is easy. Taking off baseboards is easy. I might have snapped one in half, but it's relatively easy work. But then there were other aspects of the work. There's the laying off the carpet itself. We got men in to do that. There's the putting the baseboards back on. There's all sorts of little things that had to be done. And I'm more of a pen pusher. I'm more of a studier rather than a practical person. And there were others within the church who are well-versed in these things and able to do these things much better than I myself could. And even in that simple, practical way, we helped each other. Those who were versed in certain things, cutting pieces of wood, putting nails into the floor, whatever it might be, and I wouldn't have much idea how that is to be done. And there are other aspects. And when that comes to the spiritual perspective, there are things you may be strong on and someone else isn't. But they may be strong on things that you are not. And you work together and you encourage each other. And you help each other in those difficulties. There may be problems and trials that come into a person's life. They've never experienced it before, but you've been there. You're not a novice when it comes to those things. And you can encourage them in the Lord. And the same thing can happen. They can experience something that is new to you. 
You're a novice in those things, and they help you. They help you. And so, it is important for us to grow and help each other. But what is the apostle saying? The elder's not to be a novice. He's not to be a man with no experience. He can't be a man that has every experience. He can't have a man who knows everything, because no man knows everything. That is why we have a plurality of elders. We have those men who may have strong uh, points, and we might have men who are weak on something, but they balance each other out. They have different personalities, and uh, they have different qualities. And the plurality of elders helps toward that. We help each other. And so, what Paul says here, not a novice, that doesn't mean the elder is to know everything. But he's not to be a novice. He's not to be new. He's not to have a lack of understanding about spiritual things. <coughs> I was chatting to my brother about this subject last week. I wasn't calling him a novice, uh, but we talked about this subject and about the importance of faithfully attending the church of Christ, of faithfully attending the services for the potential elder or the potential pastors we see in 1 Timothy 3. And as we talked about the importance of those things, we came to three conclusions. He came to three conclusions. He said it's good spiritually to attend the house of God, to be there every week, to be at the services. Our souls are being blessed. We're being taught. It's good for our spiritual lives. He said it's good practically, sitting under that consistent ministry, seeing how the work is run, how leaders deal with the church, how ministry is conducted. It's a valuable experience. He's just out of college. It's a valuable experience to be in a church and attending and seeing how that is done. It's practical experience that you can observe. And he says it's good doctrinally. It's good for doctrine. You'll be taught. You'll learn what you should believe consistently. Consistently. So, dear believer, there is an importance then in regard to this word novice of being found regularly and consistently in the house of God that you, if God may call you to be an elder, will not be a novice. You, as a Christian, as a Christian man, as a Christian woman, would not be a novice about Christianity. But you would know what the church is about. You'd love the church. You'd love the Word of God and learn. And Paul gives a solemn warning at the end of verse 6. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Pride is a problem. Pride is a problem to elders. Pride is a problem to the young elder. Pride is a real danger, dear believer, to every single one of us. You may say, well, I'm not a novice. I know the Word of God. I know all these things. But you don't know everything. And we need to be careful lest pride makes us think that we are at some great pinnacle of Christianity. We're sinners saved by grace. That humbles us. The Word of God reminds us, pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is a real danger. It's a danger to the young man who is a novice and is elected as an elder. 
He's a danger to himself. He's a danger to the church, lest he be lifted up with pride. That's what Paul is saying. But for you and I, as Christians, pride is a problem. And oh, that we would, by God's grace, not be lifted up with pride, but we'd be filled with humility. And here's an important lesson. Pastors and elders are charged with proclaiming the good news of the gospel. What does that mean? All human boasting is excluded. That Christ must be exalted. That is the central message of salvation. Christ alone. There's a humility here. The gospel humbles us. It does not lift us up with pride. Are you resting, <coughs> are you resting humbly in the finished work of Christ? That's the question for us here. Are you resting humbly in His work? Or are you resting in your own works of righteousness? in pride. Oh, we must forsake pride and humbly serve the Lord. We're always learning. The truth be told, we're novices, despite being mature, perhaps, in our Christian life. There's always more to learn. There's always those sins that need to be dealt with and put to death by the help of the Spirit of God. We're all really novices because how much do we really know? The Word of God is so vast, God Himself being eternal and infinite. We can know something about Him, but we can't know everything. There's always more to learn. Let us have a teachable heart and a willing spirit. But then thirdly and finally and very quickly, we have the qualification of reputation. Verse number 7. Again, there's a warning regarding the snare of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. This last qualification includes really everything that's gone before. But outside the church of Christ, the elders to have a good reputation. And why is that? A good reputation in society to guard the testimony of the church. The enemies of the faith would have much to say against the Lord if those who lead the church are ruled by men of ill repute, men whose sins are known in society. And so there's a great need for elders who are blameless. And the same is true of us all, dear believer. Let's take that qualification and apply it to ourselves. We are to have a good reputation in society. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, here our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And so the believer is that letter that is read. Paul is not going into society and, as it were, preaching to everybody. He did that to many, but there are places you will go into that the pastor will never go, or the elder will never go, or the gospel of Christ from this congregation will never go. But you're the letter. You're the epistle. Your life, your testimony, your words, your actions are read of all men. Is it a letter that bears testimony to the gospel of Christ? Is there a good reputation for Christ in the community? And this qualification reminds us that the church is in the world, and discernment is needed to those who will represent the church. John Chrysostom pointed out that though the apostles were slandered, they were never charged with immorality or sin. They lived a good example. They were blameless. They had a good reputation. And that brings us to the conclusion then, Satan is out to hinder and attack the church of Christ to overthrow the leadership. 
Believer, you're to pray for the elders of this church that they would not fall into the snare of Satan. Oh, they're godly men. You may say, we love these men. We see their faith. But good, godly men in churches have fallen into the snare of Satan, have been influenced by false doctrine. And so we're to pray because the elders and the pastor are not invincible. We're not indestructible. We fight the same temptations as many in the world. We fight the same temptations of sin and false doctrine. And as we pray for you, and as we pray that you would not fall into the snare of Satan, so pray for us. Pray that in our lives there would be that good report of them that are without for the testimony of Christ. As we pray for you, pray for us. And elder, those who are elders within the church are to be on their guard. Christian, you're to be in your guard. Because Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about. And what's he doing? Seeking whom he may devour. Christ is out against, or the Satan is out against the church of Christ. Believer, look to Christ. Be on your guard. Guard your testimony. The elder must have a good report of them which are without, but so should you. I've heard of many believers and they went out into the world. They've done their business. They're Christians. They haven't done it so well. And there are those who have spoken of how they conducted that business, how they perhaps tried to <coughs> deceive or try to make more money through means that would be questionable. And they say, well, that person's a Christian. There's the church they go to. And sometimes it's known, especially in smaller communities, about how individual Christians conduct themselves. Oh, that we would have a good testimony here. Not merely for the name of the church, but for the name of Christ. That our dealings in business and our dealings with each other would glorify our Savior that would bring a good testimony to His name, and that those who we deal with would say, well, that man's a Christian. I don't agree with his faith. I don't think he's right. But you can trust him. He's a good man. He's a good man. And oh, that they would see Christ in your life and be pointed toward Christ. But oh, can that be said of you? It must be said of the elder. But dear Christian, it must be said of you too. Do we show Christ, our Savior, the one we're going to remember in a moment? Do we show Him in all that we do? And the Lord bless His word for His name's sake. Amen. Amen. We're going to turn in our hymnals to the hymn 148. <coughs> the hymn 148. Oh, teach me what it meaneth that cross uplifted high. And we'll sing verse... 458. <laughs> 458. I'm looking at the evening. Um, 458. Christ liveth in me. Once far from God and dead in sin, no light my heart could see. We'll sing verse 1 and 2. 458. 
Uh, verses 1 and 2, standing to sing, please. before we come to the table of the Lord, uh, can I just uh, remind the congregation of two things. Uh, firstly, I won't be going to the door, uh, but if you do need to talk to me, uh, feel free to uh, come and speak to me. And then secondly, uh, we didn't put it in the bulletin or we forgot to announce it, uh, but if there are those who are interested in baptism, you've never been baptized as a believer, and you believe that you should be baptized, as the commandment of Scripture uh, states, uh, then do speak to us, and uh, we will be considering a baptismal service in the near future. And so, if you are thinking about baptism, do, uh, don't hesitate, and do come and speak uh, to us. And of course, baptism is one of the sacraments uh, of Christianity, the other being the Lord's table. And as we come to this sac or this sacrament, uh, let us unite together 
Um, let us pray. Eternal God and Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word today. Uh, we thank Thee that we've sang about Christ living in us, and we pray that the Savior would indeed live within our lives, helping us to live for Thee, praising Thee, being good examples for Thee, being good examples for the flock of God. And Lord, we pray Thou would bless us here, give us grace. May we rejoice that our Savior left the splendor of heaven to come into this world, that He is God, as that Nicene Creed teaches, as the Scripture teaches, that the Savior is the Son of God who gave Himself for us. Lord, bless us here today, we pray, and grant us grace, and may we grow in our love toward Thee, we pray, for His sake. Amen. I'm going to turn for a few moments to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we'll read the words of institution as set forth by the Apostle Paul. We'll read from verse 23. And of course, there is a warning here as well within these words, a warning to those who are not part of Christ, who've never been saved to not partake. <clears throat> and so the warning goes out today that as we come to the table, if you're not saved, if you've never repented of your sin, you're not a child of God, then pass by the plate of bread, pass by the cup, do not partake, as Paul warns here about those who eat and drink unworthily. Let us hear the Word of God, verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. And this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Amen. And may the Lord bless His Word to our hearts today, and may we rejoice there is a Savior, one who came from heaven to earth, who died for us. We're here as the Lord's people. We're to live for Him. We're to think of those qualifications of elders and apply those things by God's grace to our that we do. Amen. Amen. We're going to ask one of the brethren to give thanks for the bread that reminds us of the Savior's broken body. Let us bow our heads.
heads. We thank thee, Lord Jesus, that we can gather around thy table that you have prepared for us. We thank thee for your scripture that is given to us that we may come and worship thee, our Savior, our Creator, our Redeemer. We thank thee, Lord, for all that thou hast done for us to know that you left your heavenly throne to come to this earth take a body and to take that punishment that was set for us. We thank thee, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would call us to repentance, that you would call us to the foot of the cross that we may see our Savior and what he has done, what he has accomplished. We thank thee, Lord, for your body that you gave as a sacrifice, that you were punished, all those things because of our sin. We rejoice that you have conquered sin, that you have conquered the grave and death. All these things have been set aside. Dear Lord, continue to speak to our hearts. Help us as we partake of this bread that we may know and realize what it cost thee the God of heaven to die for us sinful man we praise thee we honor thee help us Lord to serve thee help us to do all things for thy honor and glory for only thou art worthy help us Lord as lambs to follow thee to know thee as our God. O oh Lord, speak to us, we pray. Keep us from sin. Help us to do those things that you would have us to do. We pray for our Savior that you would continue to speak to our hearts. We ask that you would give that Holy Spirit to touch us, to counsel us, to lead us. We thank thee, Lord, for all that thou hast done, and we ask it in your wonderful name. Amen. We'll hold the bread till everyone is served, and then we'll partake uh, together after the words of institution.
word of God says, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. call upon our brother, Mr. Alan Samuel, to give thanks for the cup, please. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time of communion. Lord, we thank you for your sacrifice upon that cross. Lord, for taking our place, dying for our sins. Lord, satisfying the wrath of God that we may uh, be justified by the shedding of your blood, that atoning blood that pays for sin. Lord, you are the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Lord, we thank you for your grace and mercy you have shown to us and that, Lord, we have our very lives are purchased with your blood, that, Lord, we are no longer under the authority of ourselves, but, Lord, we are under your lordship, and help us to enjoy serving thee and living for thee and witnessing for thee to others. And, Lord, help us, as we heard today, that we may live these lives that are, Lord, above uh, the ways of the world, Lord, a, uh, a heaven-bound way of living, Lord, help us to, to live such lives before others, recognizing that we are new creatures in Christ, Lord, help us to remember the power of your blood to save sinners to the uttermost. Uh, Lord, that you have victory through what you accomplished on the cross over sin and death and hell. And Lord, you grant eternal life to all those that would come humbly at the foot of the cross, recognizing their Savior. Lord, help us to remember the price, the cost of your sacrifice. And help us to remember the joy of that great salvation that you offer and give freely. Thank you, Lord, for your love towards us. We offer this in your most mighty and precious name. Amen. Also hold the cup till everyone is served.
Word of God says, after the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. Let us partake. Going to turn again in our hymnals, the hymn 458, 458, verses, two and, verses 3 and 4, standing to sing. Verse 3 is, lives the flower within the seed, as in the cone the tree. So praise the God of truth and grace, his spirit dwelleth in me. 458, verses 3 and 4, standing. Let us pray. Eternal God, our loving Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy word to our hearts. We thank Thee for Thy strength and help this day. We pray that Thou would part us now with Thy blessing. May we receive grace through the sacrament of Thy table. Lord, bless it to us, we ask, and enable us to live in light of what the Savior has accomplished for each and every believer here. May we live to the honor and glory of our God. Lord, we pray that would part us now with thy blessing. We pray that thou would take us to our homes in safety. May the love of God, our Father, the 
grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the fellowship and communion of God the Holy Spirit, be with us all.